Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. Some of you are a little alarmed. He's on the stage awfully early. Uh, I want to welcome those in the room. Welcome those who are watching online. Welcome those who are watching in the classic services. Exciting service today. We've got all the baptisms at the end. So we've saved just that celebration excitement and uh, we're, we're thrilled with it. But this is an exciting season. Yesterday, thank you. I think uh, we, we don't know exactly how many, over 5,000 people during the time that came. Yeah, it's awesome to celebrate each of these events. We do them for our community and each of them keep getting bigger as the word gets out, as we're welcoming people who wouldn't come to a church campus otherwise, but they'd come to an event like this. And so I I personally wanna thank everyone that served, everyone that came out, everyone that was a part. We had offsite parking down at CVS, people that were shuttling, people that were working all the different areas. I wanna thank the staff team, uh, Charles and JC and all the staff that worked double time on this, our facilities crew. Yes, so much work went into it, but uh, we're excited because it builds, it builds on what's coming this week. And want you to be a part of all that. Remember this, this week, we've got a full week ahead. Uh, Friday night, Friday night, we've got our Good Friday service. And so we'll, we'll launch that and, and it's seven o'clock. And that service is different than anyone that we do during the year. It's a pretty sober, reflective service. We really focus on what Christ did on the cross, what he experienced on the cross. We walk through the seven statements of Christ on the cross and we take communion. And uh, for those of us, if, if you've been a, a follower of Christ for years, I, I love that service because it's such great reflection and preparation for the celebration to come with Easter. And then Easter weekend, we'll start Saturday night, five o'clock, Sunday morning, 8.30, 10 o'clock, 11.30. And uh, for those who are, are venture members, if you're a part of our church with it, you might consider maybe a Saturday night service or an 8.30 Sunday service just to make room for people that we know will visit during those prime times with it. And I'd encourage you, if you are part of the venture family, uh, if you could come to a service and also serve a service. And, and serving will set you up. It's not hard, but it's important. Um, let, let me put one caveat. If you'll be friendly, we want you to serve. All right, if you can smile and just welcome somebody because we want to create the kind of environment for somebody who, who maybe they're nervous about coming to church. And, and it takes all from the parking lot all the way in that we create the kind of service and setting that prepares them to be able to hear this gospel message, this good news that we're celebrating next weekend. So a lot going on with that, a lot that we're celebrating. Make sure that you can go by the hub or you can go online, sign up to serve. Make sure that this week you've invited someone that you've just maybe stepped out with courage, somebody you know that you, you, and just put it out there. Hey, would you be interested in going to an Easter service with me? The worst that can happen is they look at you and go, no, I really don't. And you go, great, and you move on. (laughs) But you might be surprised who would be interested and just coming and being with you and celebrating Easter together. Hey, this weekend, in light of baptisms, light of this season, we're gonna take a break out of the book of of James and and we're actually gonna celebrate what today is. Today is Palm Sunday. And if you grew up in the church, maybe some of you as little kids, did they give you palm branches even when you came in? And you are a part of that celebration. It goes back to a very traditional time with the children of Israel. 
And he goes back to one of the most incredible revelations of Jesus during his time here on earth. If you got a Bible, turn to Matthew 21. If you don't have a Bible, turn to the blue Bible in front of you, page 981, 981, Matthew 21. And we look at this day where Jesus reveals himself. Unlike he did any other time in his earthly ministry. If you remember when Jesus was here on earth, he was always downplaying who he was. He would do miracles even and he'd say, don't tell anybody about it. It's not my time yet. It's not for time for people to know who I really am. And, and on this day, that, that Palm Sunday, that one week before Easter, when he came into Jerusalem, on that day, he, he did this. He cracked open the curtain just a little bit and said, I'm gonna let everybody see who I am. I'm gonna declare who I am as king, as the king of Israel, but more than the king of Israel, the king of this planet, the king of a new kingdom that was coming. I, I don't know if you've ever lived, some of you that maybe you're from other countries or if you've ever lived overseas, I don't know if you've ever lived under a monarchy. It's interesting. Uh, Lee and I lived in Thailand for a couple of years. And uh, when we were there, Rama the ninth, uh, the king of Thailand, King Bumabol, and uh, he reigned for over 70 years. A uh, very honorable man, very honorable king, very well respected. And it, and it was interesting when you were there because of the honor that was just naturally given to him. When, when we would go to the movie theater, if, if you just went to go see a movie, before the movie began, they would show a short little film in honor of the king. They'd play the king's anthem and everyone stood. You stood in honor of the king before you went to a movie before you went to any event, a sporting event or anything, there was just these established times where they honored the king. If he went through the city, if he was in his car, we, we saw him one time, he was in his Rolls Royce and he was, he was going down and they, they have a guard that goes in front and they block off all the streets with it. In fact, in Thailand, no one's feet can ever be above the head of the king. That would be a dishonor to him. And so when they would go through the city streets, they would not only block off the streets as he went, every overpass that he might drive under, they'd stop the traffic so that nobody's feet would ever be above the head of the king, which, you know, is horrible for traffic. <laughs> but, but there was this rallying sense of the people. There, there was this sense of honor that he represented something for him. And in this passage in Matthew 21, in fact, it's, it's this one day when Jesus reveals himself as king, that sense of honor, that sense of celebration, it's one of the only events that's recorded in all four gospels. And so it's so important with that. And, and on this day, look, look how Jesus, read with me in Matthew 21, as he, he reveals himself specifically as the messianic king. He says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. What you're seeing here, and sometimes it's called the triumphal entry. 
And it's called that not just because Jesus did it. This is what Roman generals did. This, this is what kings did. When they took a city, they would do this triumphal entry. Now, when the Romans did it, they would often come in on a war horse and they'd come in with the army. It was this declaration, we're taking this by force. But as Jesus is going into Jerusalem, remember it's Passover time. And as he's going in, he's actually going back to the celebrations of old, back when Israel had a king. When Israel had a king, David and Solomon, they would practice as the people made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover, the king would often go out of the city and ride in with the people and they would declare the Psalms of Ascent, often ending with Psalm 118. The Psalm 118 that declared, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This celebration of the king. And, and we might look at it and go, well, it's strange. Why would he ride a donkey? There's a, a sense of humility around that, but it goes all the way back to when Jacob was blessing his sons. He blessed his son, Judah. He said, the scepter will not depart from Judah. So out of all his sons, he says, Judah, you're gonna be the kingly line. And Jesus, by the way, is of the line of Judah. He says, nor will the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs, the nations will obey him. Not just any king, a king is gonna come that all the nations will obey. Binding his foal to the vine, his colt to the choicest wine, he will wash his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. It's this kind of strange prophecy that he says, he's bound to a colt or a foal. And as you look at it, the kings of Israel, when they were coming in peace as a declaration of peace, they would ride in on a donkey. You rode in on a horse as a, a symbol of war. You rode in a donkey as a symbol of peace. But it also was a symbol of kingship. In fact, if you go to 1 Kings, we won't turn there. But when King David was dying, two of his sons were making a play for the throne. Now, he had promised the throne was going to be Solomon's. But Adonijah, another one of his sons, when he knew his dad was about to die, he gathered forces and he said, hey, I'm gonna grab the throne. I'm gonna be the next king of Israel. Bathsheba comes into David and she said, you promised that Solomon would be the king. And, and David said, yes, yeah, Solomon will be the king. So he called Nathan the prophet. He said, here's what I need you to do. Anoint Solomon and then go get my donkey and place Solomon on the donkey and have him ride into Jerusalem on my donkey. And as soon as he did that, it's interesting, you read the passage and Solomon rides in on the donkey and Adonijah hears it and his heart fell. Because he knew, oh, dad's made a declaration. Solomon has been presented as king. Now, in this time in Israel's history with Jesus though, there's been no king, there's no kingdom. Remember, they've been in exile and now they're back and Rome leads them. There's no king. That, that's why they had all hung on to that prophecy from the exile, from Zechariah that Matthew quotes. The prophecy that says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. He is humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Zechariah wrote hundreds of years earlier when they're exiled, he said, hey, the king's coming. The king's coming. And when you see him mounted on this donkey, you're gonna know it's the king. 
And so Jesus, who for three years has been doing miracles, Jesus, who has this fallen, and people are hearing about it, and as they're making their way into Jerusalem, suddenly here comes Jesus, and he's mounted on a donkey. Read with me in verse six, as it says with it. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed him. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks and they sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is what they would do for the kings of old. They're laying out their robes like a, a red carpet for the king. The crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're quoting Psalm 118. Like they would do with the kings of old. And when he went into Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So the crowd start celebrating. And, and in this, if you look at this, this revelation of who he is demands a response of worship from his people. They can't help but worship. They can't help but celebrate. They can't help but, but cry out because Jesus, just for a moment, he's starting to crack open just a little bit to show them who he really is. And, and if you know from the other accounts, the ones who should be leading the celebration, because when they used to do it in old, when the king would lead it, the priest would come out from the gates and they would join the king and they would be the one that would lead the most praise going all the way in. But in this case, we read in the stories, we'll see it later and we see it in other accounts, the priest here are the ones trying to shut it down. They, they run out, not to worship, they run out and they go, they gotta stop saying that. They got to stop declaring that. You, you can't have them say that. You remember what Jesus says in one of the other passages, the parallel passage. He said, if they were to stop, the rocks will cry out. And, and, and what he's saying in that is that because he's God, if, if he were to unveil his true glory of who he is, the whole planet would start shaking. Mountains would tremble. In fact, that's what you read. A lot of that language in Revelation, when it talks about all the things that are happening, it's a response to the glory of God being revealed. And, and the only reason they all don't just fall down in fear on their face before him is in his humility, he came as a servant. In his humility, he came and he veiled his glory so that he could serve us. But, but I love for this one moment, he, he just says, hey, you guys don't even realize if these people weren't responding, man, if I, if I unveiled on you who I really am, this whole planet would respond because all of it's mine. And as the psalmist declared in it, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. It's not like he, he's got to drum up praise. He, he actually draws praise out of us because of who he is. That's why Paul says in Philippians that Jesus went on this journey down, down. He came as a servant and he served on it and he went down to the cross and he dies on a cross and we'll recognize this this week. But he ends that passage, he said, he didn't end there though. He ends on a throne. 
In fact, the day will come when he is unveiled. Philippians 2 tells us, God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day when, when, when he totally unveils who he is, one day when every person on the planet sees who he is, whether they are worshiping him in glory because he's their savior or they're worshiping in horror because they refuse to follow. Who he is demands our worship. It demands that we, we praise him and we worship him. As you look at this, the people are celebrating who he is. And, and even more than that, they're celebrating what he's about to do because it's time for the restoration. Zechariah told us our king's coming and we're ready for the king. And as he's riding in, they can't wait because he's about to confront the worst problem they have. If you asked anybody in Israel, what's the worst problem we have? All of them unanimously would say Rome. And, and as he's coming in, the king, it, it's this visual image because you have the temple, the temple, which is the symbol of the nation that's there. But right next to the temple is this massive Roman fortress. It was called Antonia. It was named after Mark Antony. And by design, Rome built it right next to the temple. Rome knew, man, the temple is the center of their identity, the center of their power, their worship. Everything's about the temple. And so this massive temple's there and Rome by design built a fortress taller than the temple. The Antonia had four columns on it that were 14 stories tall. They would house the soldiers right there. They wouldn't even let the Jewish priest wear their robes all year. They would keep them under lock and key in the Antonia. And then weeks like this, Passover week, they would bring them out and they're like, okay, we'll let you wear them this week, but don't get too full of yourself. We're still in control. They would have 600 soldiers at the top of the Antonia, always with spears, always looking down. It was, just, it was just their way of keeping their thumb on Israel. It was their way of saying, oh, you can come and worship. You can do what you want in your temple, but never forget we're in charge here. We're the power of the world. And as Jesus is coming in on the donkey, as he's declaring king, man, the people are so excited. He's about to go take on Rome. He's gonna march right in and go right to the fortress. He's gonna go take them down. This is the king. This is the restoration we've waited for. But look what Jesus does. He doesn't go to the fortress. Look where he goes. Verse 12. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They said to him, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said, yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. 
I mean, here was this, this great opportunity for him to come and confront what they considered the biggest problem of their day. And Jesus goes, you think Rome is your problem? You think your problem's about power and kingdom and politics and all the other parts? Guys, your biggest problem is a spiritual problem. And so when he goes, he doesn't confront the political problems. He focuses on the spiritual problems. He focuses on, on what's happening in, in the temple itself and in the temple. So when you came for Passover, every male had to pay a temple tax. It was a half shekel. And, and you couldn't pay it with a Greek or Roman coin because those had the, the faces of emperors or gods on them. And so that'd be blasphemous. I'm gonna come to the temple and pay the temple tax with the Roman coin, you had to pay with the Jewish shekel. And so there were money changers. They were glad to do business for a prophet that when you came, you gave them your Roman or Greek coins and they gave you that half shekel for a price. And then you also had to make sacrifice. And so when you came, you had to make sacrifice as a family. And so they set up another shop right there. We'll sell you whatever it is, you know, if it's turtle doves, if it's a lamb, whatever you're doing. And, and this all used to take place down in the, the Kidron Valley where it was supposed to take place. But Caiaphas, the high priest, he actually saw a great business opportunity and the priests took over for the money changers. They went into business with them. And they said, well, there's no reason to put it way down there in the valley. We, we can set it up right here in the courts of the temple. In fact, we'll put it in these outer courts where the, the Gentile world and, and those who can't go into the temple, this is where they pray. They don't need a space anyway. They don't need access. And they were making a pretty good profit with it. And, and Jesus comes and he says, Everything that he was doing was so that people could come and they could experience God. That's what the temple was for, by the way. It was the one spot on the planet where the spirit of God came down. He came down to the Holy of Holies and the priest would go in and he'd go behind that veil and he'd spread the blood of a lamb so that he could make atonement for the people. It was a place that people could come for prayer. It was a place of healing. It was this one place that you could come and experience God and they've blocked it. They've missed it. And as Jesus looks at it, he says, yeah, Rome's a problem. I'll deal with them. Don't worry about them. This is your bigger problem. Man, we, we've got to deal with what's going on here. He restores the temple as a place where people can actually experience God. And that restoration, by the way, it doesn't stop this day. He's about to restore it for the whole week. Because you remember when he hung on the cross? Remember on Good Friday when his sacrifice is finished and he says the words, it is finished? What happened in that temple? That veil in that holy place, it tore open. It was God's way of saying, hey, this access to God, it's no longer even through this one spot of the temple. It's no longer through a priest. It's not lo longer through the blood of sacrifice. It's no longer through any of these other things. It's gonna come through Jesus and it's extended to all people with this. As he comes to do this, he's not focused on what they think is wrong. He's not focused on the outside world. Notice where he uniquely focuses. He focuses on his people and his place. And he says, let's be honest about what's going on here 
Because this is what's killing you. You think it's the thumb over you. It's the problem among you. And he deals with it. He deals with it like few others. You know, as we we think about that today, um, when you came in today, there probably weren't any money changers. Hopefully not. We got nobody working that for Easter. You know, you didn't, don't, don't have a sacrifice. We don't have those issues. But I think there's a lot from this story that we do need to recognize. And I just want us to take a little bit of time today just to reflect in our own hearts. The first question is, do, do I recognize that Jesus is my king is, who's worthy of my worship? Do I actually treat Jesus like he's king? You know, over the last couple of decades, one of the things I've, I've loved in worship over the last couple of decades, a growth in intimacy in our worship. I, I love that we can express intimacy to God. I love that we can come to him as Abba, Father. I love that he describes it in this family relationship. He also describes it as friends. We can approach God in all those ways. And I love that we, we've grown in that. But sometimes I mourn a little bit that in our movement toward intimacy, we've lost majesty. We've lost what it meant to really respect him as king. And sometimes we kind of treat it, oh, Jesus is my buddy. Guys, if Jesus were here and he kind of split open who he is completely, we would be like Isaiah. We'd fall on our faces. We can approach him in intimacy because he loves us so much that he's humble enough to allow us to do so. But as we think about our lives, and and, and I'm not just talking about the way that we sing, I'm talking about really the way that we live. Look how Romans put it, he says, I appeal to you brothers by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's true worship is he gets all of me because he's king. He gets all of my life. He gets to control my decisions. He gets to be in control for the rest of my life. And it's non-negotiable because I'm not just hanging out with my buddy. I'm following the king, the king of kings. And so I just ask you today, for me, I just spent some time thinking about this this week. Man, do I really respect him as king? Do I show Jesus the respect that we show earthly leaders today? Do I pattern my life around him as king? Not because I'm so afraid of him, but I have the fear of the Lord. I recognize who he is. You know, we're going to have baptisms in a moment. And baptisms is, it's one of the greatest ways everybody you're going to see, and they're going to be different ages and, and that they're declaring what Christ has done in their life as savior, but they're also declaring that he's Lord, that he's King. And they're telling everyone here through the act of baptism They're going to follow him as king for the rest of their lives. And so when you see that, it's not just some old little symbol that we do. We celebrate someone that would would have that kind of allegiance that they declare he is King Jesus and they're part of his kingdom. In fact, you know, Shep said it earlier. I, I would encourage you, some of you, you've never been baptized. You've never done that. And, and maybe today you're going, yeah, I need to declare that Jesus is my king. 
And I know right now you're wrestling in your mind with 8,000 reasons not to. Uh, I haven't prepared a testimony. Nobody will make you share one. I didn't bring any clothes. We got clothes you can change into. I need to talk to a pastor. We've got a couple of pastors that'll be out in the lobby. In just a moment, when we take some time to pray, as they go into the lobby, I, I wanna encourage you, if you're here today and you need to get baptized, just slip on out during that time. Just talk to him at least. Just recognize that he is king over your life. So the second thing I, I just, for each of us, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, is there any area of my life that Jesus needs to clean up? Now see, here's the interesting thing. The temple was that one spot where the spirit of God was on the planet until Jesus died. And then what did he do at Pentecost? He sent his spirit down and his Holy Spirit's actually in us. That's why he tore the veil. That's why we don't need a high priest. That's why we don't go to this one spot on the planet to meet with God. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. I would just ask you, if Jesus was visiting the temple of you today, is there anything he would overturn? Is there anything he would go to and go, look, we got to deal with this. We need to clean this up. So that you can be the temple God's called you to be. I love how Timothy puts it. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house. Ready for every good work. And so maybe today you, you need to reflect a little bit. Even as I say that, as you think about Jesus coming in each of us, we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Is there something God's convicting you of? Maybe it's how you use your time. Or social media. Or devices. Maybe it's your money. If you're honest, that's the one area of your life you just don't give God any control over. You've kind of held it back and, and you know for a fact if Jesus is walking in your temple, he goes, hey, we're gonna deal with this. Maybe it's somebody you need to forgive or an anger issue, an addiction, something that you just keep crossing the line with. Maybe it's your sex life. Again, just another area that you go, I'll give God everything, but I just can't give him that. And King Jesus is, is coming and he goes, hey, you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is in you. I want to use you. I want you to be amazing in all these ways on my planet. I want you to point people to me. But before we deal with anything out there, we need to deal with this. You need to let him overturn it and give it to him. And, and the ultimate reason we do this is as a follower of Jesus is so that people can experience God through me. That's why he sent us out as temples. When, when the Holy Spirit, he says, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. 
See, I'm gonna change the whole thing. It's no longer one temple that everybody's gotta travel to and everybody's gotta wait on and one priest and one sacrifice. He says, no, I'm gonna do one sacrifice for all time. I will die. It is finished. The temple is open. In fact, I'm gonna put the Holy Spirit in you and you're gonna go out all over the planet and everywhere you go, it's temples of God. And when people see you, you're gonna be a witness of me. But in the same way back in Israel, he said, hey, before anybody's gonna be able to deal with what I'm gonna do, before they can see this gospel message on the cross, we need to clean up the temple. We need to recognize who the king is. We need to submit our lives to him. I'm gonna take just a moment and have you bow. And I would ask, just close your eyes. And as you do so, maybe if you're here today and you go, yeah, I, I need to get baptized. Just go ahead and slip on out now. Go to the back, JC. They'll be out in the lobby, JC and, and Daniel, and they'll tell you any instruction that you need. And for the rest of us, I, I just have you just take a moment right where you are. If Jesus is visiting the temple of your heart today, is there anything he would need to deal with? And if there is, just tell him, confess it. He loves to forgive it. Is there any place where he's telling you to follow him? As your king, he's asking you to step out in faith, to trust him. Tell him right now, tell him, Jesus, I'll follow, I'll obey. Take just a moment now and, and reflect on Jesus and think about him on his throne right now that he is worthy of our praise because of what he's done, but even more because of who he is. Jesus, we celebrate you, we love you. We lift these praises to you now as our King. And we pray this in your name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.